0: chapter fourteen of some every day folk and dawn by miles franklin this librivox recording is in the public domain the passing of the trains next morning when andrew and i had finished the separator grandma came over to inspect the work she sniffed round the dishes and cans which barely passed muster and then descended upon the table by running her slender old forefinger along the eaves with the result that it came up soiled with the greasy slush that careless wiping had left there. "'Look at that, you dirty good-for-nothing young shaver. If the inspector came round, we'd most likely lose our licence for it, and it's no fault of mine. If a great lump your age can't be depended on for nothing, I don't know what the world is coming to. I have to be responsible for everything that goes on your back and into your stomach, and yet you can't do a single thing. You think I'm everlasting jarring, but I have to be, Some day, if you ever have a house of your own, you'll know how hard it is.' "'I'm going to take jolly fine care I never have no house of me own. The game ain't worth the candle,' responded Andrew. "'I reckon them as comes and lives in the place, like some of them summer boarders, and orders us about as if they was Lord Mark and we wasn't anybody, has the best of it.' "'That ain't the point. I'm ashamed of that table. When I was young, no one ever had to speak to me about things once, before I knew.' Once I left drips round the end of my table, and me mother come along, and Martha says, "She, it's a wonder the wonderful Jim Clay didn't say it." Muttered the irreverent representative of the degenerate rising generation, sotto voce. "If that's the way you wash a table," says she, "no blind man would choose you for his wife, for that was the way they told if their sweetheart was a good housekeeper by feelin' along the table when they was done washin' up." And what did you say? interestedly inquired andrew "I didn't say nothing in them days young people didn't be gabbin' back to their elders when they was spoke to but held their mag and done their work proper she crushingly replied but i was thinkin said andrew quite unabashed that you was a terrible fool to be took in with that yarn for who'd want to be married by a blind man and i reckon that blind men oughtn't be let to marry at all And I think, anyhow, he ought to have been glad to get any woman without sneaking around and putting on airs about being particular, he earnestly contended. But that ain't the point, anyhow, said she. Well, what did you tell it to me for, Grandma? Hold your tongue, said the old lady irately. Sometimes you might argue with me, but there's reason in everything, and if you don't have that table scrubbed and cleaned proper by the next time I come round, you'll hear about it. With this she walked farther on towards the pigsty and cow bales, and considering this a good opportunity for private conversation, I went with her, remarking in a casual manner, "'Your granddaughter has a very good voice.' "'Yes, a good deal better than some people that think they can sing like Patty and set theirselves up about it. Yes, but she badly needs training.' "'She sings twice as well as some that has been trained and fussed with.' "'Probably.' But she requires training to preserve the voice. She produces it unnaturally, and in a few years the voice will be cracked and spoiled. All the better, and then she'll give up wanting to go on the stage with it. Is there anything frightful in that? I said gently. A great many mothers would give all they possess to get their daughters on the stage. It is an exploded idea to think the stage a bad place. A lot is always telling me that, and I believe them till I went to see for myself and the facts was too much of a eye-opener for me i'll keep to me own opinions for the future it will be three years ago this month dawn prevailed upon me to go to a play there was a lot of blow about and i was never so ashamed in me life i didn't expect much considering the way i was read regarding theatres but it bit all i ever see what was it i don't know the name but it was a character of a play there was women in it must have been forty by the figure of them And they had all their bosoms bare, and showed their knees in little short skirts. They stood in rows and grinned. The hussies. They ought to have sat down and hid themselves for shame. I thought we must have made a mistake and got into a fast show, but we read in the paper after that among the audience was all the big bugs, and they seemed to be enjoying themselves and laughing as if it was an intellectual respectable entertainment. I wanted to get up and leave, but Dawn coaxed me, and I give in, and thought the next might be better but it was worse. I give you my word for it, there was hussies there on that stage, before respectable people's eyes, trying all they knew to make men be bad. They was fast, pure and simple, just the same as some Jim Clay told me about once when he went to Sydney on his own. The way he described their carryings on was just like them actresses on the stage, and me a respectable married woman who's reared a family, haven't paid to look at them. I was ashamed to hold me head up after it for a long time. It's only acting, Grandma, says Dawn. But to think that people would act things like that. No good modest woman would ever do it, and the Bible strictly warns us to abstain from the appearance of evil. And even that wasn't all. They come out and kissed one another. Married women supposed to be kissing other men. What sort of example was that to be setting to other men and women? It was the laurelest thing I ever see. I told Dawn she was not to breathe where we had been, and from that day to this I never would have a actor or actress in my house. I'd just as soon have a real loud woman as one who gets out on stage where everyone is looking at her and pretends to be one. She'd have no shame to stand between her and the bad. Oh, no, there must be a reason in everything. I was prepared for a terrible lot of fools and rot, but that I should be so lowered was an eye-opener. I feel exactly the same in regard to the stage, Mrs. Clay. But I like concerts, when the singers just come out and sing. Do you not? That ain't so bad, I admit. You would not object to Dawn singing on a platform, would you? No. Doesn't she often sing on the platform in the noon? They're always after her for some concert or another. It's a bad plan to sing too much for them. They don't thank you for it. They'd only say we're tired of him or her, and the one who'd be sour and wouldn't sing often would be considered great. "'Well, let her have lessons, "'so she could sing with greater ease at these concerts. "'She can sing well enough for that, "'and would be throwing away money for nothing. "'But if trained, she could sometimes command a fee. "'I've got plenty to keep her without that,' "'said the old lady, bridling, "'and it might give her stronger notions for the stage. "'I was thankful that I had never published my calling. "'I had my own ideas of them before, talking about, and everything they do or say they're wondering what people are thinking of them, and if they're observing what great beings they are. And I've seen em here, going in for drink and all bad practices, and when I remonstrate with them, it's me temperament, says they, and led me to believe by the airs of them that this temperament makes em superior to the likes of ordinary human beings like me and you. And this temperament makes em not fit to do honest common work, but as making em low crawlers, is a thing that at the same time makes them superior. I don't see myself how the two things can be reconciled. There must be reason in everything. If you want to turn your granddaughter from the stage, let her start vocal training. You'll see that before twelve months she'll have enough of it. It would keep her content for the present, and in the meantime she might marry, I contended. If I could be sure she wouldn't come in contact with them actin' and writin' fools, if she was to marry one of them, it would be all up with her. Do you know anything about teachers? Yes, I would be only too pleased to see to that part of it. Your granddaughter is a great pleasure to me. She gives me some interest in life, which, having no relations and being unfit for permanent occupation, I would otherwise lack. Well, I'm sure Dawn would interest anybody, and I think you're a good companion for her. She seems to have took up with you, and you've evidently been a person that seen something and can tell her this, that, and the other. But as for that, she don't want no talent to be better than most. Some people! Grandma always worked herself up to a pitch of congested collar when these unworthy individuals were mentioned. I'll think about the singing lessons, if it ain't beyond reason. She's been terribly good lately, and deserves something. Here's Larry Whitcomber Rove, and there's Carrie gone out to him. I want to see him myself. He's been a little too strong with his prices lately, but he's the obliginest feller in many ways. I don't hear anything about it, not being Carrie's week in the kitchen when Larry comes. She's always ready to give Dawn a hand then, but we was all young once. I can remember when I worked a point, whether it was me turn or not, to get near Jim Clay. "'Dawn, I think the battle for the singing lessons is half won,' I said to that individual when I met her privately a few minutes later really it can't be true said the girl with an intonation of delight as she drew a tea towel she had been washing through her shapely hands and wrung it dry uncle jake then entered and cut short further private discussion there dawn he said tossing a pair of trousers on the kitchen table the seat of em is out and i want to put em on to do a little blacksmithin'. they're dirty that's easy to be seen and known too as some people's things are always dirty said she when do you want them at once at once you'll come in the middle of cooking some pastry and want a woman to put patches on a dirty old pair of trousers and then want to know why the dinner wasn't up to tick and besides it's carry's week in the house for dawn's sake i would have offered to do the patching but feared uncle jake might suspect me of matrimonial designs upon him such being the conceit of old men i never go to carry he snapped and it's a pity your mother wasn't alive instead of you she could put a patch on in five minutes any time you asked her but she never spent her time in roarin' and bellerin around after a vote and so saying uncle jake disappeared leaving his grandniece with her pretty pink cheeks steep into scarlet and a spark in her blue eyes the old dog if he wasn't grandmother's brother i'd hate him it's always these crawling old things who can do nothing themselves and have to be kept by a woman who are always the worst at trying to make a woman's position lower and talk about them as inferior he's always after a woman to do this and do that and comparing her i'd like to see the woman mother or father who could put a patch on those pants in five minutes there's one way it could be done in time i said calling to mind a prank related by a gay little friend clap it on with cobbler's wax. Dawn's eyes danced, and the irritation receded from the corners of the pretty mouth, as, procuring a piece of cloth and a lump of cobbler's wax, she did the deed in less than five minutes, and Uncle Jake contentedly received his trousers, while I departed to put in some time with my friend Andrew, without telling her there might be a sequel to patching trousers with cobbler's wax. "'Well, Andrew, how goes the scrubbing?' oh great look at that said he drawing back to exhibit a really clean table and as it would not have conduced to our friendship had i pointed out that it had been arrived at the expense of slushing the lime-washed wall on the stand of the separator i wisely kept silent there i reckon me grandma nor jim clay neither never done a table better he said with enviable self-appreciation you know i reckon them old yarns about the people bein so good when they was young is a little too thin to stand washin don't you you've only got to take the things the wonderful jim clay and me grandma done when they was courtin you get her on a string to tell you and if dawn done the same with any of the blokes now she'd jolly soon hear about it and as for old jake there i reckon i'd be able to put him through myself at his own age don't you anyhow i'm full of farmin it's only fools and horses sweat themselves all the others go in for auctioneering or parliament or something and have a fine screw coming in for nothing.' "'But think of those watermelons,' I said, for as a subject of conversation he most frequently and most lovingly referred to these. "'But I could buy a wagon-load of em for one day's pay and not have any tugging and scratchin' with them. Melons ain't too stinkin', but, law tomatoes is a stunner. They rotted till you couldn't stand the smell of em. "'and it will give a billy-goat the pip to hear them mentioned.' "'There was no sale when the blowflies took to em. "'One man down here had thirty acres. "'I'm going to be something so I can make a bit of money. "'No one thinks anything of you if you ain't got plenty money. "'You know how you feel if a person has plenty money. "'You think twice as much of him as if he hasn't any. "'There's nothing to be made at farming, delvin, "'and scraping your eyeballs out for no return,' said this youngster, "'who did barely enough to keep him in exercise,' who had been fed to repletion and comfortably clothed and bedded all his sixteen years luncheon or dinner was enlivened by an altercation between dawn and her uncle the blacksmithing to which he had referred was the act of sitting down beside the forge where he had grown so warm that the sequel to mending trousers with cobbler's wax had eventuated the melted wax had attached the garment to the old man's person and he had sat his sitting capacity was incalculable until it had cooled again and on rising suffered an amount of discomfort it would have been graceful to leave to the imagination uncle jake however was not so considerate and aired his grievance in a manner too brutally real for imagination to do her justice dawn did not think of the joke going thus far so i attempted to take the blame but she would not have this i want him to think i knew how it would turn out i'd do it to him every day if i could Grandma fortunately took her part and the mirth of Andrew and carry was very genuine. I reckon I was as smart as my mother that time giggled Dawn as she carried in the dinner. It would have been a funny joke if you'd played it on some good-humoured young feller said grandma but Jake there is entitled to some kind of consideration because he's old and crotchety. I'd play it on Dora Eweword said Dawn only that he might stick here so that he'd never move at all if I didn't take care. The first moment we had in private she took opportunity of saying, "'I think I'll go over to Grosvenor's with you this evening, but not to tea. I'll go over to bring you home, if you help me make some excuse to get out of going rowing with Dora.' "'Why not come to tea? That would be sufficient excuse.' "'Oh, but they try to ape the swells, and Grandma doesn't like them. But I'll be sure to go for you after it, and that will save Mr. Ernest coming round with you.' I thanked her, though her escort was not at all necessary, seeing that instead of saving Ernest, it would only make his presence surer. There being nothing else to do during the afternoon, I awaited the time of setting out for the Grosvenors, who tried to ape the swells. The swells of Noonoon! These being, as far as I could gather, the doctors, the lawyer, a couple of bank managers on a salary somewhere about two hundred and fifty pounds per annum, the stiff magistrate, and one or two others, surely an ordinarily harmless and averagely respectable section of the community, in aping whom one would be in little danger of being called upon to act up to an etiquette as intricate and tyrannous as that in use at court. In the old days the town had been the terminus of the train, and it had squatted at the foot of the mountains, while strings of teams carried the goods up the great western road out to Bathurst and beyond, to Mudgee, Dubbo, and Orange. Nearly all the old houses, grandmas and grosvenors among them, had been hotels in those days, when the miles had been ticked off by the square stones with the Roman lettering, erected by our poor old convict pioneers, who blazed many a first track. Every house had found sufficient trade in giving DTs to the burly, roistering teamsters who lived on the roads, dealt in no small quantities, and who did not see their wives and sweethearts every week in the year as the afternoon advanced true to appointment dora eward arrived to take dawn for a row his chin was red from the razor and he looked well in a navy-blue guernsey brightened by a scarlet tie knotted at the open collar displaying a columnar throat which if strength were measured by size announced him capable of supporting not only a dawn but a sunset he sat on an austrian chair for which he was some sizes too large and too substantial, and reddened as he laughed and talked with Carrie, till I appeared and spent some time in talking and admiring his appearance, until Dawn came upon the scene. "'Well, Dawn,' he said, "'I'm waiting for this row. Are you ready?' Dawn glanced at me. "'Dawn has promised to chaperone me to-night,' I said. Dawn decamped. "'Miss Grosvenor has invited Mr. Ernest and me to tea.' and to go without a representative of mrs grundy i believe is not correct in the social life of noonoon heward laughed but his face fell and his reply showed him less obtuse than he appeared on the surface seeing he was the first and only person to see through my match-making tactics touting for the red-haired bagman he said as ernest could be seen swinging up the path supposing i am what then i asked regarding him with a level glance and feeling more respect for his intelligence than I had heretofore experienced. Oh, well, I suppose all is fair in some things. He would not say love, as that would have admitted too much, and a lover admitting his passion and a drunkard confessing his disease are exceptions that prove the rule. His remark was uttered with a broad good nature that would lead him to do and leave undone great things in a desire to please the present girl he was not above saying he had been pulling the leg of the one absent but he would also be capable of standing aside when he felt deeply as deeply as he could feel to allow a better man sea-room and he was further capable of sufficient humility to think there could be a better man than himself or so i adjudged him and being the only narrator of this the only history in which he is likely to receive mention this delineation of his character will have to remain unchallenged ernest had a geranium in his buttonhole and looked more immaculately spruce than ever and even his red hair could not obliterate the fact of his being a goodly sight and as such grandma recognised him that's a fine sturdy chap she afterwards observed it's a pity he ain't got something to do to keep him out of mischief is he unemployed don't look like one of those johnnies that has nothing to do but hang around a street corner and smoke a cigarette the two young men measured glances every whit as critically as girls do under similar conditions and then equally as casually made reference to the weather ernest was somewhat overshadowed by eward as the latter was superior in size and cast of features being fully six feet while ernest was not more than five feet nine inches but as a girl very rarely if she has a choice cares most for the handsomest of her admirers i was not in the least cast down about this when it was time for me to depart ernest rose too but not dawn ernest's face went down ewards brightened miss dawn is not coming over now but later on i said the men's glances reversed once more as the former and i departed ernest carrying a wrap for me i heard you would say-well come on dawn you're not going to grosvenor's after all it seems that old party was only pulling my leg ernest good-naturedly struggled to talk with me but i spared him the ordeal and arrived at grosvenor's interestedly studied them to discover what manner of procedure trying to ape the swells might be-the swells of noonoon the doctor who thought i might peg out any minute and the bank managers and the parsons the only difference to be observed between the tea-table at clay's and grosvenor's was that at the latter the equivalents of uncle jake and andrew did not appear in a coatless condition were treated to the luxury of table napkins and mrs grosvenor who served attended to people according to their rank instead of their position at the table and entrusted them with the sugar basin and milk jug themselves farther than this there was no distinction and this was not an alarming one certainly miss grosvenor who had not enjoyed half dawn's educational advantages did not as glaringly flout syntax and slang was not so conspicuous in her vocabulary she in earnest got on so well that none but my practised eyes could detect that as the evening advanced his brown ones occasionally wandered towards the entrance door which showed that much as miss grosvenor had got him out of his shell She had not obliterated Dawn. That young lady arrived at about a quarter to ten, and we started homewards, determining to go a long way round, first by way of the Grosvenor's vehicle road to town, by this gaining the public highway, along which we would walk to the entrance to Grandma's domain. This was preferable to a shortcut, and rolling under the barbed wire, fencing in the long grass, sopping with dew which at midnight, or thereabouts, would stiffen with the soft frosts of this region that would flee before the sun next morning. Dawn's cheeks were scarlet from rowing on the river with Dora Eward, and she spoke of her jaunt as soon as we got outside, apparently pregnant with the knowledge innate in the dullest of her sex that the most efficacious way of giving impetus to the love of one lover is to have another. This, however, is another art which, like good cooking, must be done to the turn, and in this instance there was danger of it being done too soon, as Ernest Seymour had not taken firm root yet. And a man, unless he be either of gigantic pluck or no honour at all, will not hurry to interfere with the secured property of another man. They chatted in a desultory fashion while I manoeuvred to relieve them of my presence. The night was lit by a million stars paling towards the east, where behind the hills a waning moon was putting in an appearance. The electric lights of the town scintillated like artificial stars, and away down the long valley could be seen here and there the twinkle of a farmhouse light, showing where some held mild wassail or a convivial evening, for there were not many of the agriculturalists tired from their heavy toil who were otherwise out of bed at this ungodly hour of the night. The crisp winter air agreed with me, and I felt unusually well. "'Let me walk behind. This night is too glorious to waste in talking politics, so you young people get out of my hearing and thresh out your candidates' merit and demerit, and leave me to think,' I said, for politics were in the air and they were touching upon them. They obeyed me, and soon were lost to view in the dark of the Osage and Quince Hedges Rona's Breakwinds on the west of Grosvenor's Orangery. Soon I could not hear their footfalls, for I stood still to watch the trains pass by. Twas the hour of the last division of the Western Passenger Mail, bearing its daily cargo of news and people to the great plains beyond the hills that loomed faintly in the light of the half-moon. Haughtily its huge first-class engine roared along, and its carriage windows, like so many warm red mouths, permitted a glimpse of the folk inside, comfortably ensconced for the night. It slowed across the long viaduct, approaching the bridge, and crossed the bridge itself with a roar like thunder, and it swerved round a curve to kangaroo, till the window lights gave place to its two red eyes at the rear. As it climbed the first spur of the great range, and all that could be seen was a belch of flame from the engine door as it coaled, Something of the old longing awoke within me for things that must always be far away. The throbbing engine spoke to my heart, and forgetting its brokenness, it stirred again to their measure. The rushing, eager measure of ambition, strife, struggle. I was young again, with youth's hot desire to love and be loved, and as its old, bittersweet clamourings rushed over me, I rebelled that my hair was grey and my propeller disabled. The young folks ahead had put me out of their life as young folks do, and, measuring the hearts of their seniors by the white in their hair and the lines around their eyes, would have been incredulous that I still had capacity for their own phase. Only the royalty of youth is tendered love in full measure. Those who fail to attain or grasp it then find this door, from which comes enticing perfume and sound of luring music, shut against them for all time and no matter how appealingly they may lean against its portals, it will rarely open again, for they have been laid by to be sold as remnants like the draper's goods which have failed to attract a buyer during the brief season they were displayed. I stood under the whispering osage and listened to the now distant train puffing its way over the wild mountains, also to be crossed by the great road first cut by those whose now long dead limbs had carried chains members of a bygone brigade, as I was one of a passing company. But probably they each had had their chance of love, and the old bitterness upsprung that mine had not fallen athwart my pathway. Fierce struggle had always shut me away from similar opportunity to that enjoyed by the young people ahead. "'Put back your cruel will, O time,' I cried in my heart, "'and give me but one hour's youth again,' sweet ecstatic youth with a bounding pulse led by the purple mirage of hope whose sirens whisper that the world's sweets are sweet and its crowns worth winning let me for a space be free from this dastard age creeping through the veins dulling the perspective of life and leadening the brain whose carping companions draw attention to the bitters in the cups of youth's delights and mutter that the golden crowns we struggle for shall tarnish as soon as they are placed on our tired brows suddenly my bitter reverie was broken by the knight and the lady calling in startled tones i replied and presently they were upon me dawn very much out of breath oh goodness we thought you were ill again you have given us such a shock you should not have been left behind I was a terrible brute that i didn't harness the pony and drive over for you and ernest came in a slow second with you should have taken my arm and he wrapped my cloak about me with a high quality of gentleness peculiar to the best type of strong man despite my assurance that i never had felt better they insisted upon supporting me on either side so slipping a hand through each of the young elbows conveniently bent I playfully put the large hand on the right of me, over the dimpling one on the left. "'There,' I said, taking advantage of the liberties extended a probable invalid, "'I've made a breastwork of the hands of the two dearest young friends I have, so now I cannot fall. And seeing I put it at that—at that they were content to let it remain—and the big hand very carefully retained the little one, so passive and warm in its shy grasp, at the gate I dismissed Ernest, and Dawn condescended to remark that he wasn't quite such a fool as usual, which interpreted meant that he had not been so guardedly stand-off to her as he sometimes was. The trains once more entertained my waking hours that night. Under Andrew's tutorage I had learned to distinguish the rumble of a goods from the rush of a passenger, a two-engine haul from a single, and even the heavy voice of the big old shunter that lived about the noon station had grown familiar. But the haughtiest of all was a travelling engine attended only by its tender, and speeding with a lightsome action, like a governor thankfully free from officialdom, and hampered only by a valet. Musing on what little time had elapsed since the work of the passenger trains had been done by the coaches, with their grey and bay teams of five swinging through the town at a gallop, and with their occupants armed to the teeth against bushrangers, I dozed and dreamt. I dreamt that I was in one of the sleeping-cars, which had superseded Cobb Co.'s accommodation for travellers, and that from it I could see in a bird's-eye view not only the magnificent belt of mountains, the bluest in the world, but whirling down their westward slopes, with a velocity outstripping the scented winds from sandal ridges and mild plains, I slid across that great western stretch of country, where a portion of the railway line runs for a hundred and thirty-six miles, without rise or fall or curve in the longest straight ribbon of steel that is known. But ere I reached its end, I wakened with a start through some falling in Miss Flipp's room. Surely I had not slept for more than half an hour because the light which had shone in the adjoining room as we returned from Grosvenor's was still burning. Presently Miss Flip put it out, and closing her door after her, stealthily made her way from the house. She trod cautiously and noiselessly, but her gown caught on the lower sprouts of the ragged old rose bushes beside the walks, and though she took a long time to open the little gate opening towards the wharves and the narrow pathway running along the river bank to the bridge, It creaked a little on its rusty hinges, so that I heard it and fell to awaiting the girl's return. I waited and waited, and beguiled the time by counting the trains that passed with the quarter hours. There were so many that I soon lost count. This line carried goods to the great wheat and wool growing west, and brought its produce to the city. Many of the noisy trains were laden with fifteen hundred and two thousand lots of fats and the yearly statistics dealing with the sales at Homebush chronicled their total numbers as millions. From beyond Forbes, Burke, and Brewer Arena they came in trucks to cross the bridge, spanning the noble stream at the mountain's base, but they never went back again to the great plains where they had basked in plenty or staggered through droughts as the fickle seasons rose and fell. The voracious, insatiable moor of the city was a grave for them all and the commercial greed which falls so heavily on the poor dumb beasts in which it traffics caged them so tightly for their last journey that by the time they reached noonoon they were bruised and cramped and not a few trodden underfoot the empty trucks going west again made the longest trains as they could be laden with nothing but a little wire netting for settlers who were fighting the rabbits and were easily distinguishable from other goods as when they clumsily and jerkily halted the clanking of their couplings and the bumpings of their buffers could be heard for a mile or more down the valley the splendid atmosphere intensified all sounds and carried them an unusual distance and many a time at first i was wont to be roused from sleep in the night with a notion that the thundering trains were going to run right over the house on the night in question i had not heard miss flipp return from her midnight tryst though all the luggage trains had passed and it neared the time of the first division of the up or City Woods mail from the west which was the earliest train to arrive in town from the country daily it passed noon in the vicinity of four a m a radiant hour in the summer dawn but then in winter the time when bed is most alluring when the passengers breath congeals on the window-panes they complain that the foot-warmers have got cold and give yet one more twist to their comforters, and another tug at their possum or wallaby rugs. This train passed with its shaking thunder, drew into noon for refreshments, then on and on with noisy energy, but still Miss Flute did not return. I concluded that she must have decided to leave us in this fashion, or that I had missed her entry during the rumble of a passing train, or mayhap I had snoozed for a moment.' or perhaps an hour, as the unsympathetic heavy sleepers aver the insomnists must do, and ceasing to be on the alert any longer, I really slept. End of chapter 14